to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed by women identified directors and prove that the female species is more deadly than the male. <laughs> <laughs> I go back and forth. Do I keep that line? Do I cut that line? <laughs> I don't know. I just love how much like Ursula you sound when you say it. <laughs> oh my god. Someone else says I laugh like Ursula, which I yes, was like, great. I'm pretty flattered by that. I don't know if it was meant as a compliment, but I'm kind of into it. So I choose to believe that it's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I did steal the singing voice of a young Chanteuse. That's why I sound so beautiful. <laughs> Oh, I should rename my cats Flotsam and Jetsam. That would be really so be living great. my full Ursula fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, I'm your co-host Rachel, aka Ursula, and joining me is my favorite person in the world, Ariel, the Shantus whose voice I stole. <laughs> Hello. I always forget that your name is Ariel whenever Ursula comes up, yeah. and then every time it's like a new discovery. <laughs> like, it was whoa. definitely a problem when I was in elementary school. Yeah, I guess you're of the age where that would be a peak bummer. Yeah, because I was born before the movie came out, so I was not named after that. But yeah, I got a lot of, Ariel, where's Flounder? And Ariel, Ugh. where's Sebastian? Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. And most people it's not that even meet, like, drivers, restaurants, whatever, they're always like, oh, you're named after Ariel the Little Mermaid. And I'm like, no. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you ever dye your hair red? No, well, no, not her color red. No. I dyed it burgundy, but... Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> okay. If, if there was ever any question that you were a 90s child, <laughs> it has now been assuaged. <laughs> there is a very specific window of time where everybody had burgundy There hair. sure was. <laughs> I was not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Although I bet you would be so cute in a bright aerial red. I don't know. I don't know if I can pull that off, but... Maybe I'll I mean, have to try it someday. I think people pull <laughs> off whatever they think they can pull off. It's 90% hubris. That's true. <laughs> can I really pull off pink hair? Yes, because yes! I say so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how have you been, Ariel? How you are you what? and Sebastian and Flounder <laughs> doing? Uh, you know what? I was having a pretty good day. But then the world decided that it was time to remind me just how old I'm getting. Oh, um, no. <laughs> what happened? So one of my closest friends decided to alert me to the fact that if not for the pandemic, we would be about to celebrate our 20th year high school reunion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which yeah, I that's had not weird. Yeah. On. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. And then my nephew called me and I was talking to him on the phone just a little while ago. And he was telling me about how his mom had gotten him to watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with her. Okay. Okay. So he says to me. Oh, God. I really like. What liked... is this fetus going to say? <laughs> he said, I really liked it, but mom had to translate a lot of the slang for me because it was too old and I didn't understand it. <laughs> so that was a thing that happened. <laughs> Rachel? Yes. <laughs> I am here. I I'm like, devising oh God, ways. <laughs> like, want to put him in a pillow sack and throw him in the river. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was gobsmacked when he said that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are Grants to Ruse. What are you going to do? I know. I know. 
It's always weird when there's those weird pop culture things. Yeah. I was listening to the latest here's well, second to latest here's Johnny where he did a retrospective on Hitchcock mm-hmm. and really got into the stuff about yes. Hitchcock being a creep. Yep. Um, <laughs> oh, do you listen to it? I'm listening to it right now. Yeah. Oh, you should let Larry and Justin know. That will oh, make Larry so happy to know you liked it. As a super <laughs> Hitchcock fan, he'll be super excited. You yeah, no, they, they're doing a great job. And all that stuff needs to be talked about, clearly. Right, so. right. And so you heard the part where he was asking everybody around him if they knew who different actors were and oh, nobody right. knew yes. who they were. And I was like... What? Those are obviously old actors when we were young, but at the same time, they are completely out of the zeitgeist now. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Shuffled off this mortal coil for good? Is that really <laughs> where we're at? And it, even know, though they weren't bizarre. my era of actors, it was still a knowledge base that I had of like a previous right. generation that right. is poof gone faster than a TikTok. Like it's just gone. <laughs> <laughs> Dark. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I was in a good Join mood because my, my favorite cartoon got renewed, but now I feel like I am a mummy shuffling through life. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> let's change the subject before I. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. Take some arsenic or something. Or is that too old timey a way to kill yourself? <laughs> suicide jokes probably not appropriate anyway so (laughs) today we're going to be talking about a movie that i am so excited to finally get to talk about we're going to be talking about lucky directed by natasha kermani and written by bria grant and this is one that i have been eagerly anticipating for you to check out so that we could discuss it and it hits shutter on march 4th this podcast will be coming out a couple days before that so can you please tell our listeners what our spoiler policy is going to be on this episode yeah so for this episode we are going to give you some of our general thoughts and feelings about the movie so that you'll know whether it's worth checking out and whether you want to keep listening after that we're just going to get into big time spoilers so Mm -hmm. if that doesn't bother you stick around because i think this is going to be a fun one to talk about oh for sure for sure for sure all right awesome now before we get into that though can you tell me a little bit about our director and any production information about the movie Okay, so Natasha Kermani is an Iranian-American filmmaker. She graduated from NYU Tisch School of Arts, which I think I'm quickly learning turns out a lot of great directors because I feel like a bunch of them have gone to this school. Right? Is it too late in life to enroll? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because apparently you turn into a total badass. Yeah, it definitely seems like So after she graduated, she went on to co-found Ilium Pictures, which is a film, TV, and web production company that works with a ton of big-name companies like Vogue, Bravo, Google, just a ton of them. Wow. And she spent five years doing branded content for them. Power moves. Yeah. And she directed a ton of commercial content. She directed ones for Microsoft, Third Love, Condé Nast Entertainment. So she was doing big things. Wow. That's so cool. After doing all of this commercial content, then she started working in TV. She directed six episodes of a Lewis Black comedy show called The Mentors. And Mm. for that, she won. It was actually a web series. And she won Best Director at the NYC Web Fest in 2015 for her episodes that she directed. Very cool. Not surprising, but very cool. She also directed two episodes of this TV show that I think sounds kind of up our alley. Uh (laughs) It was called Cat Planet. 
what? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You had me at cat and kept me at planet. Tell me more. (laughs) So it is about a group of liberal arts educated potheads in Brooklyn who come to realize that cats are actually aliens. What? How do I not know this is a thing? I guess it was only on for one season, sadly. But it sounds pretty great. (laughs) How do I get my hand on that? I know. (laughs) So her first feature film directorial debut was the movie Imitation Girl that came out in 2017. Mm -hmm. And it was a big festival darling. It got a lot of really good reviews. It's a sci-fi film about what happens when an alien takes the form of an adult film star and then both must learn to cope with the complexities of being human. So it sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. And you can watch it for free right now on Tubi if anybody's interested. And I looked and it gets an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty impressive, especially for an indie movie. Yeah, definitely. So in 2017, she also directed the feature film Shattered, which is a thriller about a political family in the Deep South starring Ray Wise. Oh, (laughs) I feel like I feel like I'm the Truman in the Truman show (laughs) between Cat Planet and a Ray Wise joint. I know, right? It's perfect. And I kind of want to see it. That's what I think it is. Yeah. I know. I feel like it would be worth watching just to hear Ray Wise do a deep Southern accent, too. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I, yeah. bet, he, I bet he just Ray Wises it. You Probably. know what I mean? He's just like, Probably. <laughs> I speak the universal accent of Ray Wise. <laughs> <laughs> so outside of directing, she is a violinist and a composer, which was something I had no idea about her until I started looking into it. And she actually really likes to play live shows with local bands and ensembles. So it's something she does in her free time. Yeah. Can I have a crush based solely on your reading the email? (laughs) Sure. Because it just happened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's going to get better. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So after directing the Ray Wise movie, then she went on to today's movie that we're going to be talking about, Lucky. But... I was reading an interview that she gave to Dread Central when Imitation Girl came out. And because that one has to do with aliens, they asked her, do you believe in aliens? And this was her response. Quote, I think maybe we are the seed people from Star Trek. It's possible that we are the seed and we're going to go out and adapt and change and get radiated into different species. We're also potentially pre-alien, but one way or another, in some timeline, there are definitely extraterrestrials. (laughs) I mean, mean, aliens and Star Trek, yes, Ray Wise, it's all there. Yeah. I mean, of course there are aliens, right? You believe in aliens, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do I believe in aliens as they are sometimes depicted in pop culture or sort of when we think about aliens? I don't know about all that. But the world, the universe is too infinite for us to be alone. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's, impo- I feel like it's mathematically impossible. Yeah. That we're the sole life in yeah. the, in existence. But you no, know, she sounds completely rad. Yeah. 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 I think she sounds really great. And so Lucky, Kermani directed the film and it was written, like you said, by Bria Grant, who you all should be familiar with because she wrote and directed the amazing 12 hour shift that we yes. did an episode on last year. Yes, one of our favorites of last year. Yes. Yes. For Bria Grant, the script apparently came from a really personal place. She had this experience where she had a stalker, and the stalker Mm -hmm. actually showed up at her house. 
And so then she had to deal with that experience, but also the court system and people's reactions to what she went through. And that led her into writing the script for Lucky. Interesting. Yeah. So she kind of put all of that into the script and reimagined it into this surrealistic slasher satire. Right. So originally, Grant actually had planned to direct it herself. But then Hmm. Epic Pictures came to her with the idea that they wanted Natasha Kermani to direct because they had worked with her on Imitation Girl. And they wanted her to direct it and Grant to star in it, which is what they ended up doing. Awesome. So Kermani was a little worried at first that Grant might be territorial about her script, but instead they ended up working together collaboratively really well. They even worked on the rewrite together, and then Grant was able to step back into the role of lead actor, and it all went really smoothly. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I mean, I think that's super impressive, because if you wrote the script and then hand it off, I think that's one thing, but to hand it off and then star in it and not have control, I think that would be difficult. Oh, yeah. somebody who has also directed movies. So I think it's yeah. very impressive that they were able to work together that way. Yeah, I could go either, one of two ways. One, she could be like, as a fellow director, I understand what your job and what it's like to have somebody who's not collaborative right. or who is a control freak. Or they could <laughs> be a control freak. <laughs> right, but right. I, I mean, I love the idea of the way that these two women are collaborating in this, you know. And I think yeah. the finished product speaks for itself that the right choices were made. Spoiler yeah. alert, I liked the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Kermani intentionally hired comedic actors with improv backgrounds for this mm-hmm. movie. She wanted to be able to lean into some of the dark comedy of the script and was afraid yeah. that if she went too dramatic, it would kind of kill the magic of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I think you, there's such an absurdist angle to this movie yep. that I think going comedy versus melodrama really sort of drives it home in a way that it becomes an absurdist comedy. Yeah. Dark comedy. <laughs> yeah. And I think it feels fresh because of that, too. Mm-hmm. Right. So the very impressive thing is that they had almost no time to make this movie, too. So there was a really fast pre-production phase. So they hired these comedy actors and they intentionally hired ones who had read the whole script and who they could have conversations with leading up to filming because they weren't going to have any real time to do extensive rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And then once they were on set, they had 15 days to shoot the whole thing. 15 days. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's crazy how many of these smaller budget indie movies get it done that quickly and are such high quality. It's impressive. I love blockbuster movies. I love epic movies. But there is just something so scrappy and so impressive, so labor of love about the way the indie movies are able to really make impressive, amazing, impactful art with shoestring budgets and no time everything working against them and can still crank out something really cool and impressive yeah it's pretty amazing i can't help but root for that yeah yeah Mm -hmm. definitely so it premiered at the virtual 2020 fantasia film festival last august and then like rachel had mentioned it was shown as shutter's secret screening last halloween yes and then it will premiere on shutter on march 4th yes shutter is killing the game so far this year i know I they say, really are it's it's almost too good to be true Can they sustain <laughs> this all year because the first three months i mean the lineup of films that either have come out or are upcoming are blowing my mind they are worth every penny of that subscription i'll tell you oh, that much yeah especially considering the first couple months of the year for horror are usually like a dead zone right know? 
which I mean, maybe that's a strategy. And I think it's yeah. smart. You can corner the market in January and February. Yeah, very like, true. Horror fans are horror fans all year round. There's some people who are seasonal horror fans, but I feel like because in this genre, people are so passionate about it that they want year round Halloween. Yeah. And so by having these super solid couple of months or three months, essentially right off the front, who knows? I mean, they haven't announced past that. Yeah. I think that's just good strategy, right? Yeah, very good strategy. I couldn't be happier with my subscription. I've watched so many movies on Shudder. By the way, we are not paid by Shudder. No, we we're not. I mean, Z- you want zero dollars. Cool, we're just but... telling you this from whore fan to whore fan. If you're yeah. like, do I pull the trigger? Yeah, if you're on the fence at all. This so it. far this year, if this year these three or three months bode for what 2021 is going to look like on Shudder, pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. It sounds like such an advertisement. I swear to God, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) I just would want to know because there are a lot of services out there. I'm like, "Eh, do I want to spend my money on that? We're going to talk about in the extended section. Today was a massive day for Paramount Plus, all the announcements of things coming out. Every day there's a new subscription service. And so you you have to pick and choose what you want. So yeah. I kind of, the reason I'm saying this about Shudder is specifically because I have a handful of subscriptions, some of which I'm like, I think it's time to say goodbye. Shudder is not one of them. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm always on Shudder. So mm-hmm. it's definitely been worth my money. Again, zero dollars <laughs> we yeah. are receiving for this. <laughs> I wish that were not true. <laughs> call us. Yeah, call me. <laughs> I'm available. I've got nothing (laughs) planned until June. (laughs) All right. So I know I have this. My job is the synopsis this episode, but there are some spoilers in my synopsis. So why don't we go straight into our non-spoiler reviews and then I will break down the synopsis and then we'll get into the spoilers. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. So Ariel, non-spoiler talk. What'd you think of Lucky? I freaking love this movie. <laughs> nice. I really, really liked it. Now, I have to admit, you had told me that it was pretty surrealistic. And mm-hmm. sometimes that works really well for me. And other mm-hmm. times I'm like, mm, I can't quite penetrate it, you know? Right, 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 right. This movie, I did not have that problem. Mm. I think in the first 10 to 20 minutes when you're not sure exactly what is going on, there's enough mysterious things happening that it kept me hooked until I sort of figured out what the message of the movie might be and what right. where it was going. And from then on, I was totally in. Yeah. So I just think this movie is, even though it's dealing with some tough subject matter and some sort of harsh realities, it's really fun, too. Yeah. And I mean, cause really it's, entertaining. It's funny. Yeah. The laughs are dark, but they're there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful to look at. The acting is great. And I think that the message of the movie is really good. And the ending is very impactful. I would just highly recommend this one. Definitely. Yeah, I also really liked this movie a lot. Like you said, I have already seen it. So I have been sitting on this since October, not (laughs) wanting to spoil it for you, but needing someone to process it with. Yes, I can understand that. (laughs) On one hand, it is surrealistic and uses a lot of symbolism and a lot of allegory to kind of drive its point home. And it is a little bit opaque in some ways. Sure. But not in a way that makes it unapproachable, more in a way that it makes you want to process it. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah, I kind of feel you need time to think about it. But it's to great. some degree, we have the decoder ring already mm-hmm. as just sort of lived experience. But I just kind of wanted to bounce ideas off of someone. So I'm so excited to be doing this today. Yeah, me too. 
separate of that, yeah, I just I, I think this is a really interesting and strange in the best way possible film. It explores. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be very careful about how I say it. Yeah, so I, I know it's hard. <laughs> um, but I, but the ideas that it explores sort of the exhausting and relentless nature of and endless battles to the death against systemic patriarchy and misogyny. Yeah, through the lens of a slasher movie, is just very fascinating to me. I think it's a really interesting twist on exploring these ideas that we're already kind of engaging with IRL and kind of trying to process IRL. And one of the best things about horror films and films in general is that it allows you, it kind of, it personalizes and also creates distance that allows you to process things. It makes you an observer in, in something that sometimes you can't necessarily see in your own experience. And this movie did that for me a little bit. And I think it would do that for other people who maybe aren't thinking about this as much. I would recommend that people who experience some of this will find it cathartic, whereas people who don't might find it illuminating. Yeah. So I would I would like to see a lot of people see this. What was fresh to me was the exhaustion. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. No, definitely. I think this movie does it in a really unique and interesting way. And really, for me, I think that was probably the most eye opening part. Because Mm -hmm. I think we've experienced a lot of the things that are in this movie, but bringing that to light, just how, yeah, overwhelming and exhausting and tiring it can be. That was new and fresh for me. I mean, because so much conversation a lot of times is about people wanting other people to explain things for them and people being like, you need to do the research yourself. It, It seems like you're just being unhelpful when you say things like that. Mm-hmm. But what you don't realize is how much of your bandwidth is already taken up. Right. And right. I think that this kind of illuminates that in a way that is helpful and interesting and very identifiable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I also think it's just packaged really well and in an entertaining way. So I do think that it's approachable and digestible yeah. because of that. Yeah, I just think it also is does a very, very good job of presenting gaslighting in a very effective way. It's it's very palpable. Yeah. And it's funny, but it's also what's funny about it is you're just like, yep, yep, yep. Been yeah. There, done and, that. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I think the dialogue is written so smartly so that it's undeniable mm-hmm. that it's happening. Yes. You know, like I don't think you can watch that and not realize what's going on. Yeah. It's also a very timely movie. Sure. I don't want to keep railing on this movie, but I when you think about Black Christmas, which I think core ideas are really great, mm-hmm. and execution misses the mark a little bit, I think this one does a much better job of touching on some of the same things, specifically systemic issues. Yes. But does it with a much lighter touch and a little bit more flair. Yeah, and more nuance, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll get into the character of May, but she is not a character I've seen on screen before. Or if I've ever seen her, she's presented as a villain. Right. But we'll get into that. Yeah, she's not the lead. Yeah. I think this movie has some fun kills, but the most of the horror of this movie is really about sort of a pervasive sense of dread and unease. And a sense that reality is just sort of coming unmoored for the character. And as we get into the cycle of what's happening, it doesn't get repetitive. If anything, it just kind of becomes 
increasingly horrifying yeah. as the situation continues to escalate and escalate and escalate and the ways that new ways that our characters are terrorized by the killer. And there's also a sense of isolation that is very intense in both ways that made it feel like a nightmare. It felt a little bit like she was removed from time, mm -hmm. but also had a lot of thematic and emotional resonance. Yeah. And yeah. And just finally, I agree. I would just want to concur with you. I really like the ending. I think the I feel like great. The last 15 minutes of this movie are fantastic. It manages to be both a definitive ending, emotionally definitive ending, not a mm -hmm. definitive ending, but also leaves a lot of room for dialogue and space for more content. So I don't know. That's a delicate balance, but I think I think it pulls it off. So yeah, my overall review is definitely watch this yes, twice watch if it. possible, <laughs> because I actually think that the, you catch a lot more and can appreciate a lot more the second time through when you kind of understand what's happening and you're not caught up in the what is happening of it all. And yeah. you can just sort of see the subtle things. Pay attention to the backgrounds of shots. Pay attention to a lot of cues in the movie that you don't necessarily realize are cues until you understand the full scope of the movie, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I've seen it twice now, too. And I definitely think that the second time through, I was able to see more, like you were saying, things that were happening in the background, but also just the early scenes in the movie where yes. at fir the first time I watched it, I didn't know what was happening. The second right. time I did. And so I saw those breadcrumbs. Yeah. And the conversations that were had were illuminated for me. Yes. I mean, even little things like sound cues in the very first mm -hmm. scene mean yep. nothing. I mean, they do mean something, but they mean something in sort of a real world context instead of a film logic mythology context. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's fun to watch a second time. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get into that more as we talk about details. For sure. All right. So for those of you at home that have not watched it, that do not want to be spoiled, this is your chance to dip out. The movie comes out on March 4th. Check it out. Come back. We'll talk about it more in depth. Yeah, this is your spoiler warning. From here on out, anything goes. Yep. All right. Starting with my synopsis for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lucky. The film centers uh, around a woman named May. She is a self-help writer working on her next project. And one night she wakes to find out that there is a man in her house. When she wakes up her husband to tell him, he seems strangely unsurprised that there's a man in the house. In fact, he says, oh, and that's just the man that comes and tries to kill us every night. Well, mostly you. <laughs> <laughs> she manages to fend off the man. But sure enough, the next night he comes back. And this begins a cycle of May essentially fighting for her life uh, against a seemingly unkillable man as he returns over and over again intent on murdering her. The longer it goes on, the more surreal the reality becomes, and the more she sees signs that maybe this is a larger problem than just her struggle. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one to synopsize, but that was good. Was that okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. I'm so glad. Okay. Yeah, I thought about it. I mean, I've, we, I've watched this movie four times. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that helped. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad that it came across good. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, I enjoyed it all four times. So nice. I'll tell you. So, all right, let's get into our spoiler talk. Ariel, let's talk first of all about what things worked for you in this movie. How many, what did you think of this movie? I mean, again, I really, really loved this movie. I think one of the really good things about it is just the level of 
quality of the acting. Yes. So it is intentionally odd to throw you off kilter, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's done deliberately and convincingly in order to communicate the movie's message. Yes. And I just think, oh, gosh, it works so well. I mean, Bria Grant is amazing. She's so good. But so are all of the characters around her in this movie. Everybody sells it. We reviewed Shook last time, and I recommended that movie because I think there are some really creative visuals and there are fun aspects to that. But I do think it was brought down by that quality of the acting. And this movie, the quality is top notch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just such a fun, interesting twist on the slosher. The slosher? <laughs> I think you're the slosher. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what i need more sleep apparently me too girl when does that happen when does when do we actually get some sleep that's what i, I want to know. know i don't know when i was a kid i never wanted to go to bed and now that's all i want <laughs> i just want to be asleep <laughs> how do i be a productive human and sleep 24 yeah, sleep hours a day time? yeah i don't know man <laughs> fuck i'm such an indoor cat now all i want to do is take naps oh i wish i could nap i could use a good nap do you not nap I can't. No, I can never fall asleep. Oh, God. I have trouble staying awake all day. The thing is, is then around 637, as you're witnessing by our conversation now, I come alive. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have trouble falling asleep at night. Right. But all day while I'm working, all I want to do is take a nap. And then usually right after work, I take a 15 minute nap. Oh, that's smart. I mean, really it's, it's not necessarily a consensual <laughs> nap. It's where, like, my body's like, and we're done. My eyelids have to see each other again. They're like, we want to be together. <laughs> sorry. We must fuse. Yes. Oh, my God. It's... <laughs> okay. Sorry. I solely sidetracked us. So what I was attempting to say. Okay. Was that I think it's such a great twist on the slasher genre, just like you were saying. I mean, you've got this unstoppable villain Uh that's sort of like a jason or a michael myers or something except that he's dressed in a nice suit jacket and a turtleneck and he's not that huge you know what i mean right and so i think it does some really interesting things with making the villain as close to a real person as you can get and the main character may being not a perfect victim And so that combination makes the movie more dynamic and more interesting and I think says a lot more. Mm -hmm. He looks like a diagram of a man. Yeah, exactly. The brown hair, average build, average height. He's not a hulking monster. Right. He is just a sort of upper middle class, maybe slightly affluent white man. Yeah. Which is... (laughs) You know, the least slash actually most scary. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when we're talking in terms of not individual men, but in a large number, like in a mass number and a demographic who's most likely to negatively impact your life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And I think also you're sort of, it's sort of ingrained in you from a young age that you should be looking for the scary guy, you know? Right. When a lot of times, most of the time, probably, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) So, like I had said before, I wasn't sure if I was going to like the more surreal aspects of this movie. But I actually ended up really enjoying that part of it. Mm -hmm. I think setting it in this kind of 
twilight zony bizarro world version of reality but only in some parts of it I don't know if that makes sense but it's like so much of it feels very real and then it's yeah. the surrealistic stuff kind of layered on top of it that makes it really memorable right it's not like full David Lynch lost highway we're exactly. like always in, enough in touch with reality that you can keep your bearings yes but everything's just a little off we're just slightly out of tune with reality and it it has such beautiful set design and they do interesting things with that with the surrealism too with having yeah. things change and and morph over time to kind of match what's happening to her internally yeah. and her own hair gets more disheveled as mm -hmm. the movie goes along i didn't notice it the first time but after we talked about it and i watched it a second time the fact that she is blonde and wearing blue like alice in wonderland because she's kind of, you know, through the looking glass. And yeah. in one of the car scenes, too, she has on the radio playing that Jefferson Airplane song, the White Rabbit one. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's little subtle things like that that I didn't pay as close of attention to the first time I was watching it when I was trying to kind of just figure out what was happening. Right. That made right. it even more sort of rich. Oh, and just the dialogue in this movie is so good. Yes. I mean, it's so well written and then it's acted so beautifully that it gets at some real world truths in a way that is palatable because it's still entertaining. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ted, for instance. Yeah, we got to talk about the kitchen table conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that's your favorite bit of the dialogue. Well, I mean, it's like the ultimate well actually medley. Yeah. Every line you've heard. It is seamlessly worked into this, this like I said, like a medley of well actuallys in a way that it becomes <laughs> comical, but it's funny because it's true. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the way he gaslights her, the way he tries to, well, he, way he says stuff like, you probably blame me for this, which is- Oh, what, this just... is my fault? <laughs> yeah. This Ugh. is just how it is. Yeah, like, this it... is just how things are. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah, my the God. only probably the only one we don't hear is not all men, <laughs> right? But he even says things like, "I can't be with you when you're like this. You're hysterical." Right. I'll when she has like a very legitimate concern about her own personal safety. Right. I mean, and this is this is always ongoing and theme that I I find interesting is the idea of people not believing you or calling you histrionic when you're trying to just express your own personal safety issues mm -hmm. is something that this movie gets at really well. Did I lose you? No, I'm so sorry. <coughs> Roger oh, no. jumped up on my lap and I inhaled some of his cat fur. <laughs> <laughs> he finds so new sorry. ways to like podcast bomb every time. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I just, I mean, that conversation is so good. And it so clearly illuminates what I think many women experience all the time. But Again, it's so entertaining, and I feel like it's done in a way that's obvious enough that if you have never experienced that yourself or you're that guy, maybe you would actually see it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I like that it leans into the absurdism to yeah. highlight. You see how absurd this sounds? Yeah, that's how it sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're exact lines of things I've heard real guys yeah. say, but yeah. it's done back to back and in this over the top way that, yeah, exactly. It's like, can you believe people actually say this? Because they do. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
his total disregard for any role or any that he has in creating this dynamic or any role he has in dismantling it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, he just, it's he, like, it's how it is. Yeah. And he washes his hands of it and walks out. Right. You know, and he doesn't uh-huh. come back to like the end of the movie. And then he's an ass then too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a little bit of camp to his performance a a little bit of surrealism but it's so accurate too yeah you know Uh and that's i think the brilliance of the way that this was written and directed yeah you feel how accurate it is Mm -hmm. even though all of these crazy things are happening around it i think the same is true for the conversation she has with the cops and the social workers the oh, things yes. that the cop says. She's stabbing this guy and beating him with a golf club. And the cop's like, yeah, try mace. That's going to yeah. work. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's, you know, he's not going to come during the day. Like, you have nothing to worry about. I don't know why you're so upset. Right. Right. I mean, and I think it gets at this idea that the cops, I mean, and this is a real world issue, is that a lot of times they're like, well, there's not really anything we can do until he hurts you. But by right. then it's too late. Yeah. And so I think because they also bring in multiple, as the movie goes on, we get social workers and we get uh, an ambulance or an EMT and you see kind of how the system fails victims of violence. Yeah. And again, it does it in such a surrealistic way where, I mean, there's literally a scene where everybody's asking her questions overlapping at the same time and then they start singing. Mm -hmm. It's a really brilliant scene. And I think you know, Bria Grant said that she wrote this movie after having her own experience and having to deal with the court system and all of these different, you know, the police and all these different people. And I think you can really feel it in that scene, how overwhelming that would be, how people question your sanity and whether you're telling the truth and Mm -hmm. aren't helpful when their whole job is to be helpful. Yeah. And there, I mean, I I don't like to dog out social workers because I actually feel like Social workers do a lot of really great stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I did think it was interesting that the social worker, there's some commentary there about there's very specific, there's a very narrow definition of information that they can use or that is, yeah, that you know, and when she deviates from it, it's kind of like, well, you're on your own. Right, right. Um, and I mean, I think you're right. That's I think that says a lot more about the system than it does social workers yeah, because I, their hands are absolutely. often tied. Absolutely. But it is fascinating. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not putting down social workers. Will not, yeah. have not, please. If there are social workers in the audience, I have the utmost respect for what you do. I have one of my very closest friends is an amazing social worker. And yeah, I my stepmom how, did it her whole career. We love I mean, them. it is incredibly hard work. Yep. But yeah, but they have to work within a particular system. And yeah. no matter how good your intentions are, if your hands are tied, your hands are tied. And that doesn't really help the victim in that case. I will say we have. I want to point out that Nakia Gamby Turner, who we fell absolutely in love with in Twelve Hour Shift, yes. shows up very briefly and sings. She's in so this. great. I know. Just love her. I love her. her. I want to see her in everything now. Yeah, me too. I, she's so good. She's yeah. so good. And yeah, she's only in the it for like what a minute or something, but she's super memorable. You know that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio where he's pointing at the TV. Mm-hmm. When she showed up, I was like. <gasps> <laughs> it was totally that meme because I just love her. I just, lo- I just fell in love with her in 12 Hour Shift. I hope yeah. she's in all the things. Shit, I want to watch that movie again now. Right? And we keep talking about it and I'm like, oh, so I need good. to see that again. So, so good. good. But yeah, I- again, just the dialogue is so good. Another scene that really stood out to me 
was the parking lot scene towards the end. I mean, that scene is brilliant on so many levels. The choreography of that scene is great. The fact that you all of a sudden realize that it's not just May that's being attacked daily. It's every woman is going through the same experience in silence, basically. Mm -hmm. And then the dialogue between her and the assistant... I think are so good because, again, it has this really great combination of being surrealistic and over the top and yet super real, too. Mm -hmm. And talking about how, you know, I can help you because I know you, but this is too much. I can't help everybody, you know? Right. That sort of overwhelming feeling of this is really hard for me and I'm just trying to survive and I don't know how to fix the larger problem. Right. And I mean, that's definitely something that is a natural response, especially when you're exhausted. Right. Which this comes at a point in the movie where she has reached her wit's end. It's been just day after day after day of fighting for her life. And so when I was saying at the beginning, I joked about how this character is usually the villain. May is a self-help guru. Right. Or at least a writer who sort of ethos is kind of go it on your own it's sort of an anti-solidarity ayn randian yeah (laughs) vibe yeah (laughs) and typically we don't see those characters as being sort of your lead hero and i think that is she the most aspirational character no but i don't care about that that's that doesn't matter to me what i think is interesting is that it's a it takes a different sort of perspective on solidarity right Mm -hmm. That we're not all Rosie the Riveter. We're all not totally woke to female solidarity. You have to meet people where they're at. And I think that she is doing her best to survive in a system where she feels like she has to take on this sort of, you know, self-sufficient. Yeah. I don't think that this is prescriptive, but I do think that there you come away from this movie with a sense of the importance of solidarity, despite the fact that your main character doesn't necessarily believe that. Although there is a really interesting scene where she is giving a reading of her book and they kind of ask her some questions yeah, and her theory sort of falls apart in real time. And That's some of really that is probably just as a character, she's just exhausted, but I think there's a larger sort of message whether it's intentional or not about the importance of solidarity and how this go it alone thing can only get you so far when what you're up against is not one individual person but an entire system that is intent on holding you down yeah i think i think somebody in the audience even asked her what would be the title of your next book and the audience member says what about going it alone together you know yeah you can see on may's (laughs) face she's like oh right Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. The second time I watched it, too, I noticed, you know, more things that I hadn't caught the first time through. Because when you're watching it the first time, you don't know that it's happening to more than just May. Right? Right. Till they start dropping little breadcrumbs. Little breadcrumbs, like her sister-in-law's scar on her Uh back. The assistant always being late. But again, those can be explained in other ways if you're not kind of cued in to exactly what's happening. The second time through, I even noticed things like there's a scene where she and her sister-in-law are getting, I think, a security camera from the hardware store mm-hmm. and her assistant calls and they're both talking on the phone and they're both saying they're okay. Everything's right. fine. But we know later that in fact, during that time, they're both simultaneously dealing with being attacked on a daily basis. I think that scene is so great and so beautiful because it's 
there's two problems. One, this shit happens all the time, right? Yeah. Where you're dealing with inappropriate stuff, misogyny, uh, sexual violence, all that kind of stuff. Microaggressions. And it happens so much. Like, that it's I fe- not all this apocalyptic stuff. It's accumulation of also just death by a thousand cuts. Right, right. And mm-hmm. I think that because the way people respond to it and because it's so constant, we stop talking about it mm-hmm. as much. You yeah. know, you try to ignore some of the stuff that's not as big, but it means that it's harder than to find that solidarity and to mm-hmm. fight together because yes. you're just not you're just pretending everything's OK all the time. Right. I think this is a really powerful sort of me too allegory. Yeah. That we start off with this very strong, empowered woman and she's still strong and empowered at the end of this movie. Don't get it twisted. Oh, Absolutely. But over the course of the film, she discovers that literally all the women in her life are facing the same situation. And I do think that that is something that a lot of people experienced through the Me Too process mm-hmm. is that they all had their own stories. Some stories they didn't even realize were stories right. until they heard other people talk about them. And you're like, oh, my God, me too. And and so this isn't I don't I don't know. This was written before all of that. And I don't know that it's specifically about Me Too. I don't think it is. But what I think it speaks to is the same sort of dynamics and the same sort of set of circumstances that led to Me Too. Is yeah. the sort of the pervasive nature of this kind of thing. And I think this does a really good job of showing that part of it. You know what I mean? There are some percentage of women who had no idea how pervasive it was. Yeah. Especially when they started hearing people from people in their own lives. You know what I mean? And then you go like, why don't I know this about my friend? Because right. we don't talk this, about it. Yeah. You went through this traumatizing event and I had yeah. no idea that mm-hmm. it occurred. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Because, I mean, there is the public thing and the, oh, we found out all these men are terrible. But I also think there is a less talked about thing where it was a little bit of an eye opener for other women as well. Yeah. Oh, God. It's just so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, I watched it twice over the course of like a week and a half, and I enjoyed it so much both times. And I think that is just a testament to how much care was put into the script and directing this movie. Yeah. It's just, it's great. And I, I mean, I hope that the two of them, Bria Grant and Natasha Kermani, work together again at some point in the future, Mm. because I think they really hit gold here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do too. But yeah, there's just so much brilliant stuff in this movie. I think you compared it to Black Christmas earlier. And one of the Mm -hmm. things when we talked about that movie was this idea that, you know, as women, we're taught certain ways of protecting ourselves because Mm -hmm. there's danger out there, right? So the whole key between the fingers thing or carrying pepper spray, making sure your drink is with you all the time. All of those things that are kind of just ingrained in you because you've been told it so many times. And I think what this movie does is show that even though these dangers are everywhere and everybody's always talking about that fact, when it actually happens to you, then people don't believe you. Right. Right. Or don't take it seriously enough. Right. You're bombarded with warnings growing up. You know, don't walk alone at night. If you do, don't put headphones in. You want to be able to hear if somebody is walking behind you. All this shit. But then if it happens, you're disbelieved. Right. How does that work? (laughs) You know, like women have a responsibility to keep themselves safe. Don't wear this. Don't do that. But then when the thing that you're all conditioning us to be afraid of how it actually happens, it's just like. Well, I don't know. How did you contribute to that? I, it seems like maybe you're blowing it out of proportion. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's such a catch-22. It's such a lose-lose. 
Yeah, and so I think this movie shows how frustrating and exhausting those conditions are. Exhausting, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. You touched on a lot of the things that I wanted to talk about, like Bria Grant's stellar acting, supporting cast, stellar acting, just really good-looking uh, I loved all the outdoor shots of her home. It it's kind of it does feel a little bit like a fairy tale. Yes, yes, like a, it totally does. A little bit of a suburban fairy tale. I don't know. And I think it is a testament to both the writing and the directing that you could have a film that's surreal never lose you. You always kind of mm-hmm. had this through line that you could follow. A lot of times when surrealism gets too surreal, I kind of check out. And I never had that experience with this movie. A couple of other just sort of little details. I loved the disappearing man. So every time she would kill him, he would disappear. And oh, I, yeah. We didn't even talk about that. That is so great. Yes. Yes. And I think it kind of speaks to the way that violence and threats are both very real, but also a lot of times invisible. Yeah. Once the act is over, the burden of proof, like you talked about, falls to the victim. Right. Even oh, though that's a great way of, of showing that in a movie. Yeah. Right. Visually yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really cool. I loved the design. We talked a little bit about the design of, of the killer. But the final scene, she has another face off. I mean, she faces off with him multiple times throughout the movie, obviously. See, the thing is, is with the actor who actually plays the killer, I don't know that we ever actually really see his face. No. I don't know if his face was in the mix of faces we see. But his physical acting, even though he is kind of, like we said, sort of an average build. Especially in that final scene, there is some physicality to his acting that is absolutely terrifying. I keep coming back to this moment. I mean, first of all, he keeps appearing in windows, which we all know is a huge fear of mine. I don't care for that. But there's a part where he keeps eye contact with her while turning his body away and confidently walking toward a door that he's going to be able to get into. And then he has the key. And it's interesting that every time she defends herself he finds a way to match or defeat it Mm -hmm. so i thought the the killer was really creepy despite the fact that he never says anything and has less of a iconic sort of presence of as like a jason it doesn't require sort of this monstrous form for him to be incredibly intimidating yeah i know you're right even just like you said the scene where he's outside of her window looking in and then Mm. you know she looks back and he's gone it's so creepy and unsettling i think part of it is because i don't think that i will ever look out the window and see freddy right but i could just see a man outside yeah (laughs) you know yeah that's a really good point yeah and then obviously the final scene when she removes the mask and his face just morphs and morphs and morphs and we we talked about this a little bit and it's such a clever way to kind of illustrate the fact that it's not about one woman versus one man that's scary but that's solvable Mm -hmm. this is a much bigger problem it's one woman against a system so it's, it's a strange sort of surreal scene but when you understand the themes of this movie it's just so impactful yeah it makes perfect sense in the context of the movie yeah i also thought this had a really great score Mm-hmm. It's very sparing. There are long stretches of this movie without any score whatsoever. And so I kind of like that that makes it feel a little intimate, but also it's not necessarily using score to manipulate you. What you're feeling is based solely around what you're hearing and seeing from the performances of the character and the writing and the directing. Yeah. But when the score comes in, it's really strange in the best way. Some of it is almost a surreal funhouse score. And then other parts of it where there's this chaotic choral anthem that's somewhere between this rapid breathing and ritualistic chanting that is very, very unnerving. 
but also has a very distinctly feminine vibe to it that I really liked. Yeah. And I think it's just one more layer that is odd and different and kind of Mm -hmm. surreal that way. You know, it all supports the larger movie. And I just want to, for one last time to say, I really, as much as I have kind of said that May is very complicated and in some ways not your archetypical hero, I really did like that character a lot and really Mm -hmm. rooted for her. Her complexity is part of what makes her really interesting and likable to me. And not that likable even matters, but likable is not even really the right word. Sympathetic, maybe, is a better word. Yeah, and she's enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I mean, where your grant? (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do? All right, cons. Did you have any things about this movie that didn't work for you? No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. That's fair. (laughs) I mean, I, I I think it's possible that... Not every horror fan is going to enjoy this movie to the Mm -hmm. same extent that I did because it is odd. It is surrealistic. And if you are going at this thinking it's going to just be a slasher film, you might be disappointed because that's not it. But Mm -hmm. I really do think everybody should give it a chance because I was really surprised at how good it was and how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, your your notes sound a lot like mine. Uh, <laughs> my cons were I don't have any per se. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that this is the kind of movie that is either really going to work for you like it did for us or it won't. Yeah. It's not a broad crowd pleaser type of movie. The movie asks things of you as an audience. It's not going to just spoon feed you everything. Some of what my enjoyment came from the fact that it, I have some lived experience that I identify right. with this. And I do think it requires a willingness of its audience to put together some pieces and think deeper about what's being presented to them. And I mean, to me, that's not a problem. I like that. I like to think about the movies I watch. I also like to watch dumb movies that require no thinking, but I'm perfectly happy to try to puzzle things together and to give things additional thoughts. So depending on what kind of mood you're in, that's good information to have, I think, because you want to have the best experience out of this movie possible. So if you're in a place where you're like, I really just want something dumb and fun, this is not a dumb fun slasher. This is no, like, a, this is a fun, funny, interesting, dark comedy horror film, but it is definitely a thinker as well. So go into it with that mindset. And if you do like that kind of thing, I think you're like we do. I think you're really going to love this. If you like surrealist movies or movies that feel a little bit like a like a waking nightmare, which is always a genre that I'm discovering that I really like, then I think this is going to be a real treat for you. It's a little bit opaque, but not so much so that it, you're just like, I don't know, it's just weird for weird's sake. It just, like I said, it just requires some additional thought and and I would say a second watch. I liked it the first time. I loved it the second time. Totally. Yeah, I felt the exact same way. Yeah. So I would encourage everybody to give it a shot. Just know kind of what you're going into so that you can set yourself up for success with the movie. Yeah. All right. So that was lucky. I'm so glad we did this. I feel lighter. <laughs> I feel lucky to have you in my life. Aw. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for watching this with me and letting me process all my Yeah, filth. that was great. My fifis. I know. It would have been hard. I can see why it was hard to watch it and then not be able to talk to anybody about it for months (laughs) it's not even like i was under embargo and i couldn't talk about it it's just that i wanted people to have a fresh experience with it yeah out of courtesy to other people i kept my mouth shut so it's so nice to not be able to (laughs) 
unload. Okay, cool. So we did get a quick listener email from oh, our buddy cool. Doug again. Awesome. So let me pull that up real quick. So, all right. So he said, I just listened to your thoughts on Nightmare Wakes, and I've read quite a lot on the infamous Year Without a Summer, and I wanted to add these bits. The vampire tale was originally Lord Byron's. So you remember the doctor told the... the oh, yeah, it was really just a tossed off sketch of an idea. But Polidori, the doctor, who was obsessed with winning Byron's favor, got into it and wrote the tale. I've heard many times that the seductive vampire in the tale, Lord Ruthven, was based on Byron. And fun yep. fact for comic fans, Lord Ruthven shows up as the original vampire in the 1970s horror adventure comic book, The Occult Files of Dr. Spectre, which is where I first heard of him. Polidori's original idea involved the compelling visual of someone who looked into a keyhole and saw an image so horrible that their head turned into a skull unfortunately Amazing. he couldn't think of a full story to match with the startling setup once he grew obsessed with the vampire tale the skull head tale was never completed other film versions ken russell's gothic over the top and julian sands man bun sees the light of air do you know who that is <laughs> no he was the warlock and warlock oh okay he's also the guy that keeps boxing helena in a box <laughs> okay gotcha okay. gotcha which is a movie we should definitely cover yeah have you ever have seen to. it i have seen part of it but not the whole thing ironic choice <laughs> of words um but yeah we i mean that's a jennifer lynch film so we yeah. definitely need to cover it and it has like a lot of spicy background there's a whole kim basinger lawsuit we'll definitely cover that Ooh, at some point. okay yes all right. It is definitely spiced up with many horror touches. Natasha Richardson makes a great Mary Shelley. Haunted Summer, another take more costume drama y. Tell me more. Board Queen Alice Krieg, aka the mom from what's the what is the Stephen King cat va cat vampire movie? Sleepwalkers, right. Oh, right. Alice Krieg right. is from Sleepwalkers. <laughs> also the Mark Queen. <laughs> Uh, is Mary Shelley in this one. That's interesting. Rowing mm -hmm. with the Wind, a third take with Lizzie McInerney as Mary Shelley. So he recommends some of these movies for us. Oh, these all have links so we could watch them if we wanted to. Oh, awesome. Signed. Keep up the good work, Doug. Thank oh, you, that was great. Doug. Thank you. Yeah, we always appreciate hearing your opinions. That was awesome. Definitely. Doug is a very thoughtful person based on, I mean, I don't yeah. know him, but based on his emails, <laughs> I always appreciate his takes on things. And yeah. now that I'm a Mary Shelley stan, I appreciate knowing that there are other stories that I can watch. I'm going to get into this period drama-y drama one, but I also, I feel like I saw Gothic way too young. Ooh, yikes. And I remember not knowing how to feel about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I think uh -huh. I saw it just because it had Julian Sands in it, because it was after I had seen Warlock at a slumber party. Gotcha. <laughs> and then mistakes were made. <laughs> Yeah, I think mistakes are made. So I, I do think I'm going to circle back and watch that now, especially because now I've seen other Ken Russell films. So uh -huh. I think maybe I know what I'm getting myself into this time. Right, right. Yeah, that could be really interesting. I just remember that's definitely a VHS box cover that I 100% remember as a kid. <laughs> I don't know that I ever realized that it was about this dark and stormy night. But, yeah, yeah, because there's basically like a live action recreation of the nightmare painting. You know what I'm oh, talking about? Where uh -huh. there's the woman laying down and then the yes. sort of demon on her chest. Yep. That's mm -hmm. what the cover of this VHS looked like. Oh, creepy. Yeah. So I definitely need to circle back and watch that. 
So we actually got a second letter from Doug who said, I hope more deadly is going to review this one or maybe stream Queens. I helped make it via Kickstarter. And then he sent me a link to a movie called the stylist. Oh Dire- yeah. Have you heard about this? Or is this on yeah, your Yeah, I think it's one of the ones you talked about in the extended episode we did mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year about yeah. movies that were coming out directed by women. Yes. This one is 100% on my radar. I've been really looking forward to it. It's directed by, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, so bear with me, Jill Givergizian. I think that's right. Jill Givergizian. Sounds right. And stars, dun, 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 Bria Grant. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the year of Bria Grant, girl. Yeah, she's in everything. Wow. Everything I want to see. <laughs> yeah. I love how much she's into horror, too. It's so yeah. great. Yeah, definitely. And then the other person that stars in it, do you remember that movie Contracted? Yes. Yeah. So the main character from that, which was, in my opinion, the best part of that movie, Nahara Townsend, is the main character, like the titular science stylist. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, she was fabulous in that movie. So that sounds good. So yeah, so here's long story short, the answer is absolutely yes. I know it hit Arrow. There was like a it at the beginning of March. So like, maybe today? I don't, we're recording this in the past and posting it in the future <laughs> Ooh, podcast timey wimey but yeah absolutely this is on our radar I know it's heading to video on demand in June so I think what we're going to do is we're going to cover it when it gets that wide release since June because this is 100% on our radar yeah so the answer long story short yes Doug the answer is <laughs> yes we will be watching this all right. So on that note, what are we going to be watching for our next episode? I don't know, Rachel. What are we going to be watching? It is my turn. <laughs> I'm very, thank you for asking. <laughs> so we're going to be watching a movie that, I, another movie that I have been very much looking forward to, one that has been on my radar ever since I saw the description. I was like, I don't care what the reviews are like. I don't care anything. It's directed by a woman, A. B, this description guarantees that my eyeballs are going to be on it. So I'm super excited excited to talk about it with you and that is a movie that's hitting shutter on march 18th and it is called selects yes oh i'm so glad you're picking this one (laughs) are you kidding of course i had to pick this one so for those of you who don't know here's the synopsis of the movie it is a a possessed pair of jeans terrorizes trapped workers at a trendy clothing store so these are jeans that kill people (laughs) i love it oh my god that sounds like so much fun right i i mean just think of the potential for that concept right yeah all the ways that jeans can kill you oh (laughs) and my understanding is that it's like lots of practical effects and very gory so that sounds perfect yeah so we're definitely gonna need to cover that yeah. And I don't know if I mentioned it, but it is directed by Elsa Kephart, who is a Canadian director. But I'll tell you all about that on the next episode when you tune in. So everybody get that shutter uh, fired up and watch Slacks and we will talk about it on the next episode. All right, Ariel, take us out. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the More Deadly Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our review of Lucky and will join us next time for Slacks about the killer jeans. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host and good friend, Ariel, for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Shark. (laughs) 